pray. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace, and we pray, God, that you would bless uh, this time, uh, that we would uh, get to know you and get to know what you're doing uh, in this church. We pray for your, uh, ultimately, that all of this would just glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are um, in Epiphany. What I want to do in the Rector's Forum is take a look at uh, some of the some saints. Uh, I, next week we're going to look at Martin Luther King. Uh, well, I'm going to look at Eric Little. Uh, so you won't think of, I don't think they have been um, canonized, uh, but, and we're going to look at, um, a, I think, Teresa of Avila, who has, I believe, been canonized uh, as well, but uh, some others as well, just to, just to see their lives. This is Epiphany. What, what was it, what was their Epiphany? I mean, what was, what was it that this sort of the light came on uh, for them, uh, and, and what spurred them to uh, do the great works that they did? But what better way to kick off a series on the saints than to have Krista and Melissa uh, tell their story uh, here as well. So, um, so just to give you a little bit of background, when uh, Brandon uh, left, I did what you might expect. I started uh, trolling for resumes and I got a couple of really good uh, resumes. And, um, and yet, they were, I just wasn't quite sure and it was, uh, about how this was all going to fit uh, and how he, with the budget. And it just, there was all sorts of, uh, sort of question marks. But then listening to the youth and listening to the parents and listening to the vestry, I, I, just, I felt a little overwhelmed at the prospect uh, that was before me. But one of the, one of the resumes, uh, I, I called his, in a good interview, and I called uh, one of his contacts, his uh, references. And that, he was a seasoned priest. He said, the guy's great. He, he'll, be, he'll be fine. You'll, but you'll be back here in three years. Uh, not because he's bad, just because this is what happens. And this is what happened to me over and over again. And finally what we did is we called in, uh, this is him talking to me, we called in these consultants and from Ministry Architects. And that process transformed our church, not just the youth ministry, but the church. And so he told me more about that, and I um, said my prayers about it, I talked to the vestry about it, and I talked to some other uh, folks about it, and I called Ministry Architects, and they, I said, only the best, only the top number one con uh, consultant team. And they said, yes, sir. And so, um, and so we have uh, uh, Melissa Rao, who's the lead consultant, and uh, Kristen Mulholland, who's a staff consultant. I don't know what that really distinction means, but maybe you can explain that to us in, in just a little bit. But but what I what I'd like to um, let me let me just say this process. So you've been with us. This is your second trip here, and there'll be four more, I believe. That's right. Over the next eighteen months, we're just. Um, and we'll talk more about the process and sort of what that is, what the intention of uh, this is. But what I'd really like to hear first is just, you know, the sort of the short version of your own faith stories. How did you, uh, before you tell us how you came to Ministry Architects, how did you come to Christ? What, tell us about that. Okay, well, thank you. We're so glad to be here and um, especially to spend this morning uh in conversation with you, so thank you. Um, so, oh, could you also just tell us about your like your families and yes. just where you're from and that sort of thing? Too. Absolutely. So, um, I am from Sarasota, 
and I am the full-time director of student ministries at my church. Um, I'm married, my husband's a PE teacher and a baseball coach, and we have three daughters, and so um, we are all girl all the time, and all students, and it's lots of fun. So uh, my daughter Lainey is a freshman, uh, my daughter Riley is in seventh grade, and Gemma is in third grade, um, and so they keep me busy too. So, um, and uh, my, as far as my faith story, I grew up in the Lutheran church, um, which I actually love when I get to work with an Episcopal church because there's a lot of things that um, come out in the liturgy and things like that. So it's always kind of like coming home a little bit for me. Um, so I grew up in the Lutheran church, um, active. Um, my parents drug us to church every morning, um, every Sunday morning, 8 a.m., um, no matter what, um, in Wisconsin. And then we eventually moved to Florida, moved to Sarasota. Um, and so my epiphany moment, uh, the moment where um, Jesus became real to me, was not until I was 18 years old. Um, and it wasn't in a church or at a summer camp or any amazing moment um, like some people have. Um, for me, it was sitting on the floor of my bedroom, and I was cleaning out my desk. Um, and I came across um, a little track, a little... Um, you know, Christian informational booklet that I had received at the county fair of all places. Um, and I'm cleaning out my desk, getting ready to go to college. I'm like, what is this? And I read through it, and it, it talked about how to have a relationship with Christ and how to, um, you know, be in personal conversation with Jesus. And I read through it, and I prayed, and I started crying, and I thought, oh my gosh, why didn't anybody tell me this? Um, of course, people told me that, you know, but for whatever reason, that was the moment um, where it became real to me, where Jesus became real to me. So I was 18 years old when that happened. It was a week after my high school graduation. Um, and then about six months later, actually here in Jacksonville, I was a freshman at the University of North Florida um, when I felt called to ministry, sitting on the edge of my bathtub crying while my roommate was asleep. Um, and God just came in prayer to me and said, you know, you're going to be a youth pastor. I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't even know, you know? So, um, and uh, since then... Um, married my husband and he has a Baptist background. I have a Lutheran background, so we are Methodists somewhere in the middle. <laughs> so um, that's kind of how we landed in the Methodist church. Um, and so I've been there for my career um, in the Methodist church. So well, a similar story. I, I'm a lifelong Episcopalian. My grandfather was a priest uh, before that. And I'm, I'm going to get to my family, too, because I'm going to do it like a spiritual autobiography. Uh, raised in the church. My grandfather baptized me. And uh, we moved. My grandfather died when he was like 65 years old. It was tragic. He was a rector for 35 years. Uh, we moved to suburbs from outside of Philadelphia. And my grandmother moved in with my mom and dad. So my grandmother was very close to us. So I always had that influence of like the older generation uh, in faith because she was so prayerful. And I knew she prayed for me every single day. So when we moved to this new area, it was one of those new, newer developments, uh, a community where lots and lots of kids were young families. And there was this woman in the area that was running Bible study at her house for children. Um, and today it might be a little weird, right? <laughs> but uh, let me just tell you, I loved it. So when I was six and seven and eight years old, I would go to Miss Beth's house 
and I would recruit all the other kids from the neighborhood. And we would just sit on the floor of her house and she would do a little Bible lesson. Now, friends, she was Baptist. <laughs> so I knew all the colors. Green, green stands for, you know, I don't even remember, growth, and, and red is blood, and black is sin, and white is, you know, all those different things that little Did you have one of the bracelets? Yeah, yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. all those colors. And I, w I was six and a half years old when I uh, kneeled on my my steps, I'll never forget it, and I prayed the prayer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, mm -hmm. I was baptized, and so, theology aside, I've always felt close to, to God and Jesus, and uh, he has always been a huge influence in my life. When I was 12, I, and again, Episcopalian here, so had a pretty um, different, my family had different views than the typical Baptist, whatever, but I just always felt drawn to scripture. And I guess I really dove into it when I was 12 and 13 years old. Uh, might have been a little bit of a Bible thumper. <laughs> or that's what people would call me. And then I met my husband when I was 18 years old. Uh, well, he wasn't my husband yet. Uh, but he and I both shared faith. He grew up Methodist. Um, and we started dating. He was also very highly involved in his own youth group. And so it was kind of, I came full circle kind of back to mainline denominational stuff, hung out with him, led youth group stuff when I was 18. I mean, I was just out of high school and I was leading, co-leading youth group with my husband who was just a few years older than I am as a youth pastor. And so that's really, really when I started doing youth ministry uh, was alongside him. We got married, I was uh, 21 years old. We had children very young and right now we can celebrate the fact that we have a 17 year old daughter uh, a 13-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son. Uh, so I've been doing children's youth, young adult ministry for my entire adult life. Uh, so that's something to celebrate. And I've worked in the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, a whole sorts of different mainline denominations. But mm -hmm. I celebrate that. So what, uh, how did you... Each, how did you come to ministry architects, and what do you do? Like, what what is it? What 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 is it that you do uh, with ministry? What what is ministry architects? I mean, give us a little background. Okay, there. I'll go first since yes. I got the mic. Mm -hmm. Okay, I came to ministry architects uh, randomly. I was very involved with an organization called Group Publishing, who did a Simply Youth Ministry Conference for years, and I was on the planning team for the Simply Youth Ministry Conference. So, um, I helped plan it, and of course, I helped execute it. So. Whenever it came, you know, two to three thousand youth workers would descend upon a city, depending upon which year it was. And I was setting up a room for Mark DeVries, who happened to be the author of Sustainable Youth Ministry. And Mark DeVries is kind of a big deal in the youth ministry world because he's that Sustainable Youth Ministry is one of the, I'd say, top three best selling youth ministry books ever written. The tragedy in Sustainable Youth Ministry is that it has the word youth in it. Because systems, it's all about systems and structure, which transcends youth ministry. It's applicable anywhere. So systems and structure need to be present for any ministry to be sustainable. And by sustainability, we, we mean that the success of the ministry isn't dependent upon a superstar or a particular personality, but that it has a lot in place in order to undergird the program. So when that person moves on, you don't have to recreate the wheel all over again. And so that's the heart and the spirit of sustainability. So I, was, I had the, the privilege of setting up Mark DeVries' room. And I was going up with, I was going up one of those skinny escalators. 
and I had a dolly in front of me. I don't know why that occurred to me to be bright, but I had a whole bunch of stuff on top of it, books, and I even had like a bottle of wheat because that was like a prop for like you did. one of the speakers. Yeah. I know, right? And so <laughs> people get on behind me. It's a tall one, so it's a very high escalator, but it's the skinny kind, not the double wide like the, the most ones, you know, anyway. So I'm going up and I see Mark DeVries, who's kind of like famous and revered by, you know, little peons like Melissa Rao. And, <laughs> and he's behind me and a little bit of his team, you know, like two or three other folks from his team who are clearly going to their room to set up. And I have their stuff. So I'm going up the escalator and I turn around and like my little gregarious self, I go, <gasps> Mark DeVries, I'm Melissa Rao. So I'm kind of like verbally puking all over this guy. And of course he has a big smile on, he's very hospitable, introduces, you know, shakes my hand or whatever as we're riding up the escalator. Well, the top comes oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and the dolly gets stuck. Oh, and I, <laughs> it was ridiculous. The wheat goes everywhere. I'm like, like slow motion, it probably would have been very comedic. Um, and it was so funny, and I just started cracking up. <laughs> I'm apologetic, and we're all laughing so hard. And then I got to spend the next two days with him in his room, asking him if he needed water. <laughs> and that was it. Um, that was the introduction for Melissa Rao and Mark DeVries. Six to eight weeks later, I thought, you know, I'm a veteran youth minister. Uh, I love this work because it's all about strategy and thinking and partnering with people. This would be great work. I had been doing a little bit of consulting work on my own with conflict transformation and that kind of stuff with vestry retreats, just minimally. So I just sent an email and said, I'd love to be on your team. And six to eight weeks later, I should not be. Back. I should not be carting stuff around. I, I'm not, right? That's not my gift. <laughs> <laughs> I need to work in my gift. Yes. That's the story. So That's a great story. <laughs> so, and when was that? When? How long have you been? Uh, that was 2010. Okay. 2010? Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so do you want me to share how I... Yeah. How, how did you come to do what you do? Okay. Um, so, like I said, I've um, been a youth pastor for most of my career. also did some uh, director of children, family, and youth, um, various positions, but... Um, I got a call in, gosh, I think it was like 2011 or so, from um, anybody familiar with the Youth Ministry Institute? It's um, an organization out of Orlando. Frances is nodding. She's heard of it. Steve um, Schneeberger. Yes, yes. exactly. Um, who has just recently um, stepped away from his role of his executive oh. director, but he was there and started the Youth Ministry Institute, which is a two-year certification program for youth pastors. Um, and so Kathy Rexrode, um, who is also a longtime youth um, person in Orlando, um, came on to work for the Youth Ministry Institute, and she called me um, and recruited me to be a coach for youth pastors. Um, that program, unfortunately for me, started after, um, much after I um, was already doing youth ministry. And so what they do is they ask um, veteran youth pastors who've been in uh, ministry for over 10 years to coach new folks who are going through this uh, two-year certification program. And so we meet monthly with our students. Um, and so Kathy asked me to um, coach a young lady down in Naples. And as a part of that process, not anymore, but formerly, um, there was a partnership with Ministry Architects. Mm -hmm. And so 
Um, I was paired with the Vice President of Ministry Architects, Jeff Dunrankin, who is very good friends with Mark DeVries. Um, and so we did an assessment similar to what we did here together. Um, and during that time, I was not looking for any more work. I already had my full-time job and now I'm coaching someone. And Jeff said, hey, I think you should come work for us. I don't even know who us is yet. <laughs> so um, my response was, thanks, but no thanks. Um, and so about 18 months later, um, I finally did come on board after several conversations with Jeff and realizing um, that it was something that was life-giving and exciting and new um, for me. So we, we do spend time coaching just like the Youth Ministry Institute does, but we do other things too. We, um, a lot of, like Melissa mentioned, uh, mentioned uh, sustainable ministry. A lot of what we do is systematic processes, um, you know, foundational, all that sustainable stuff that uh, the design team is working on. Um, and so we do we prepare documents for folks. We um, help coach people through, you know, troubleshooting whatever their issues are, that kind of stuff. And what else am I forgetting? That's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, enough about you. Let's talk about us. Um, the um, so. You give us give us sort of a, just a brass tax, and then we'll sort of talk about this, our specific sort of context. Give us brass tax. What it, for a church who um, who comes through uh, a, a, an eighteen to twenty four month process assessment, uh, rebuild, renovation, however you want to say. It, what is what's the goal? What what should what should the congregation? What should the youth and parents? What should we expect if we do the work that you tell us to do? What should we have to for for the church? Well, uh, the main thing is what we would call a children's and youth ministry manual, which does not sound very sexy, <laughs> but that manual is chock full of a lot of supporting documents that are going to help anybody come in and be successful, including the volunteer teams. So we're talking about recruiting recruitment processes, uh, directories, manuals, job descriptions, budgets, calendars, attendance processes, specific game plans to help um, any, any change that needs to happen, we always write a game plan for. Uh, because I think uh, a goal without a plan is simply a dream. I'm sure someone really smart said that and I don't know who. Uh, <laughs> But that's reality. And so the stuff that you're gonna be getting along the way are deliverables in, in the form of a lot of documents and processes. We are gonna provide coaching and accountability along the way to make sure that the stuff that we help you all develop is actually implemented. Uh, we're gonna help you understand what visioning is and how to actually put vision in, in as a part of your day-to-day your -day operations so that you don't just do a mission statement, core values, and goals, and then just put that in a, in a filing cabinet and say, well, that was a, a, a lofty exercise. We're actually gonna help you put it to work, and we're gonna help put in the systems and the structure in place so that it continues to work, and that you know, okay, it's time, it's time to do this again. It's just this part of the year. So we're gonna help you establish rhythmic years. When do you start recruiting? You start recruiting next month. No. And you're, you're, you don't mean recruiting just a youth minister you, uh, on staff. You mean recruiting volunteers. volunteers. Yes. And so that, friends, is also the key. Glad you're here today. Right? <laughs> Look at all these people. Yes. The key to sustainability is not a gifted or talented staff person. 
The key to sustainability is empowered and equipped people who come alongside that staff person to carry out youth ministry and children's ministry in any area of ministry in a church. So sustainability falls on your shoulders and your ability to adopt and implement the processes that are in place. And so in 18 to 24 months, you will have had these systems and processes put in place and a little bit of practice with using them. And that's really, I think, a very summarization. So, so to be clear, we're not waiting 18 to 24 months to, um, to hire someone. There's also there's a design team that goes through this process, but there's also a search team that's kicking off uh, this weekend as well. Tell us uh, what, can we, what can we expect about that. So um, the search team has a timeline as well, just like a strategic timeline that we wrote for the youth ministry when we were here in November and adding to it some children's ministry pieces this weekend. Um, and then the search team has a timeline as well. Um, we're working on a job description right now, which will be posted and um, we will be, and uh, we also have search specialists, Jeremy and Sarah, um, also for Ministry Architects, who'll be working um, weekly with that team um, to make sure that this search process is done well and as quickly as possible, but also as thoroughly um, to bring the right person for this parish to be here. Great, awesome. So, um, I was telling you last night, like I, I come to church and I see this and I, I feel like, man, we got a, we got a good thing going here. Uh, but then we, we sort of uncover and, and talk about it. It's been, this has been a humbling process. I mean, it really is to say, to say, gosh, we need, it's always humble, humbling when you say, I need help. Like I, this is not happening the way it, it feels like it ought to happen. And we are in, uh, and we need help. And you can you say from one perspective, like, well, well that takes a lot of strength to do it. It doesn't feel like strength all the time. It feels like good gracious, you know, like, and and, um, and it, it's emotional, right? And so when you see our church, and you've kind of you've kind of seen behind the curtain, uh, at least in the youth ministry, and probably the rector's life as well. Um, how? Um, I mean, what what do you what do you see? Are we in, are we in trouble? I mean, tell us what 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 do you see when you look at Church of Our Savior? I love <laughs> Church of Our Savior. You know, we do this work with loads of denominations, uh, all of them, really. Uh, and and I'm a lifelong Episcopalian. So even though I work with president, you know, Presbyterians, Presbytists, Presbyterians, <laughs> I did presidents. They can use a little consulting as well. I don't know. Amen. Uh, <laughs> uh, Baptists. You know, I've got lots of favorite churches. Um, sadly. Episcopal churches are not typically my favorite churches with whom to work. Uh, there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, I'm sorry? Too regimented. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a, a lack of discipleship for a broad thing, which is sad. Um, there are two favorite Episcopal churches of mine, and one of, your, one of them is yours. There's something alive here. I can feel the spirit among folks. And, and, it, and it, it was also, I think... Um, a very, very apparent. We're, I would love for us to, if any design team members are here, if you could raise your hand so people can see the work or who you are and the work you're doing. Raise your hands up. Sure. We've got seven of them. Yep. Not all of them are here, but they're fantastic people. These are people who said yes to working the strategic plan, who are going to be coming alongside uh, all of you, the volunteers here, who are going to be working very closely with ministry architects, who are going to do that plan and they're from all walks of life they were very intentionally picked mm -hmm. 
uh, to represent a number of people and generations and, and backgrounds. And so these folks are non-anxious, hopeful, and results-based folks. So I am confident in their ability to get things done. And they're my favorite people to work with. <laughs> Great. Um, and, and so, let me check our time. We, um, we are, let's see where we want to go. Um, yesterday we had a, a, a really powerful, emotional uh, time, what we call a time of healing. And what, what I think we came through, I love just your sort of Cliff Notes reflections on that time. What, what, what we came through was, was we, it started out sort of about just the present, but it really, I think eventually the, the um, or in the immediate past, but the, the, the focus seemed to shift as we moved along from people looking outward and seeing what's the problem out there to really looking inward and saying, well, what's the problem in here? Mm. And, and really, I, thought, I felt like owning uh, that. And it turned out, and we ended with communion, and it was just a really, lots of hugs and, <coughs> and people saying, I forgive you. And it was just, a, it was, I felt really hopeful uh, about after that time. What, what was, give me your reflect. Have you ever... Is that typically part of what you do? Is that is, tell us what is your um, what would give us some reflection on that? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not normal that we do that type of process mm -hmm. with most of our churches. Uh, it was very specific to this church because when we were doing listening sessions back in November, it it, it came up uh, a number of different listening sessions uncovered that we uncovered that there was a bit of conflict that was unresolved, and maybe some you know, hard feelings uh, and conflicting feelings about how how ministry has been done here with youth for a number of years, not just the last year. That might have been a little bit more, a little bit even more conflicting uh, with folks. And so we said, we don't like ignoring conflict. Uh, we like naming things and having people have the opportunity to air out their concerns, to be heard, to share, uh, and be transparent. So we said, I think you, we, we think you could benefit from a process through which that stuff is uncovered. I like those processes because I wish churches did them more regularly. The reality is that church, we're, we're family, right? We're all family, we're brothers and sisters, and we're gonna disagree. We're, there's going to be conflict from time to time, and so we happen to work a process through which the conflict can be named, and quite honestly, People who might not have been feeling good or might have been feeling fine and just came to be supportive of folks might have left feeling a little heavy or burdened, but that's probably because they were empathetic towards some of their brothers and sisters who may have been hurting a little bit. So the level of conflict was not too high. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like we were so concerned. It's like, wow, this is a real problem. Mm -hmm. But knowing that you all are about to endeavor upon a search for a new staff person, and because, I'm sorry, I'm throwing you under the bus, Ms. Francis, but you're such a gifted and beloved person here, we want to make sure that anybody coming after you is, is successful and isn't compared to, and it can be celebrated for their own giftedness and uniqueness and what they bring to the community. And so... I think it was a really good process. I think it was a healing process, but it was also an example of how you all can handle conflict going forward. We turned a tide, as, as Joe said, about two-thirds of the way, and we started shifting together in unity 
and saying, what do we need to do as a community of believers and, and, and faith practitioners, children, parents, youth, adult leaders, it's at clergy, everyone together. How do we need to behave together? Uh, how do we treat one another as a result of um, our role? Uh, what do we expect from one another? And how do we handle conflict going forward? And so we talked about Matthew 18. We talked about some biblical principles. And today at 2 o'clock, if you're not watching the, the Jaguars game. <laughs> or if you have a DVR. <laughs> Just saying. Hint, hint. <laughs> uh, we're going to be sharing a little bit more about that. But I, I was very encouraged by it. Mm -hmm. Great. So what, what is uh, forgiveness? <laughs> what is forgiveness? I think for me, forgiveness is syn synonymous with grace. You know, it is it is undeserved. It is received. It is given. It is taken. It is extended. It is all of those things. And of course, our greatest example is Christ. And um, every time I struggle with extending forgiveness, I think of how Christ forgives me. You know, mm. um, and just that example that Jesus models and. I can do anything <laughs> yeah. because not only do I have the strength of Christ to do that, but I have the model of how he lived his life mm -hmm. to show me as well. Awesome. Yeah. I was transformed by a book I read uh, back in 2009 called Amish Grace. Are you familiar with it? No. It's all about the Pennsylvania shootings and the mm. way the Amish <laughs> just go through their forgiveness. It's a process and man, it's unbelievable how they do it. So, I feel like sometimes we might say, well, forgiveness is undeserving, which is just ridiculous, right? Because that goes against what our scriptures say. Um, but sometimes it's a longer of a process for others than it is, you know, for, say, the Amish. Um, <laughs> forgiveness, I think because it's a process, there's a number of different ways that, that people can come upon it or people can go about it. When someone feels wronged by another person, that person has a choice. That person can go to the person who offended them and in the spirit of Matthew 18, go to them individually and directly and say, this is how I feel that I've been wronged by you or when you do this, you make me feel, you know, and all those great, beautiful phrases. Um, you can do that. Or you can just decide to forgive them and move on. Forgiving them and moving on does not mean begrudging them and feeling resentment and bitterness in your heart and scorning them in any way, shape, or form. That's not forgiveness. My grandmother, I used this yesterday, but I love my grandmother with all my heart. She was the pastor's wife. Um, she says, forgiveness is not forgetting. It's just remembering that none of us are perfect. And so. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and so uh, we, we began to write a covenant <laughs> Um, but we didn't complete that because we felt like we just there was a lot of things we just in the time we had you know. But the covenant really uh, tell us about what the covenant tool can can do for us as long as we don't keep it in a drawer. Like if we if we keep it out, what what is when we have that? What what can we? And and for folks who weren't there, how can they speak into that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so as far as how can they speak into that, uh, we're going to share continue to share that document and continue to work on that document. Mm -hmm. Um, the reason for the covenant is to give us a tool that we can look to when we're not sure um, how to interact with folks or when we're feeling some of the wounding or some of the hurt. Um, and I think it was Kimberly who said yesterday, 
um, you know, I'm feeling all of these outward things, but I need to take a look inside, just as you alluded to earlier. Um, and the covenant can help us do that, to, to pause and say, how are we interacting and how should we be treating these folks? Um, because we've agreed and we've signed and we've said, um, this church family is going to act this way. This is how we are going to love. This is how we are going to show grace and forgiveness and um, all of the things that are a part of the fruit of the spirit that we shared yesterday. That's a part of the covenant as well. <clears throat> yeah, I would say, why do we have the Ten Commandments? Uh, and why were they written down? Um, I think it's important that we have a written covenant so that people can refer to it and understand what we all said yes to. It's not just a covenant between one another, but it's a covenant that we're taking before God and saying this is how we commit to behaving uh, with one another and toward one another. Um, and so the covenant is specific to this ministry. It's not just a bunch of rules. Um, it's a, we all had a hand in this and we all said yes to this. And so I think it's important that it's a collaborative thing. So anybody who works with children and youth, parents, volunteers, leaders, staff, clergy, are going to be getting this, what we call a Google Doc, that is collaborative, that you all can comment on, uh, ask questions about, uh, make additions to, etc. So we would like to do this within the next one, you know, we're gonna share this immediately, and then over the next one or two weeks or so, we would love for those who are interested and able to add their thoughts so that we can formalize it and um, get the stamp of approval of everybody that then you can sign and move forward with. Great. I think that's just, just so we're all kind of know what, how, how, we, how we do things, right? Mm -hmm. Good. Um, we also talked about communication a little bit. And, and listen, this is going to sound like a commercial. And I don't mean it that way. But it just, I just need you to hear. what. Uh, so um, so how, um, how can a church, um, what, what, what might be a really good tool that a church could use to, to uh, communicate? I mean, I, you know, there's just, I'm sure there's a lot out there. And communication is obviously a big frustration. And, and what, what would you suggest? I think realm is great. <laughs> Friends, uh, was that good? You can slip yeah, yeah, keep going. Keep going. Right. <laughs> Friends, there's Fellowship One. There's Church Community Builder. There's, uh, there's different apps. There's, there's a lot so of many different things. different things. They all work, and they all work well. Typically, the common denominator, though, for success and failure, is training. Um, an interest and a commitment to getting the information you need to be successful. And isn't that kind of like life? <laughs> so we think Realm is just great. I use Realm. Uh, I use a lot of other things too with the churches with whom I work. I'm not saying that uh, one is the best. I'm not saying one is the worst. Realm is fine. And in fact, I really like it. I've seen it work. I've seen it work well. And so what we would say here is, yeah, challenge, communication is a challenge here. And I think, we think that much of it and, is And that's totally unique. All, no other churches have that. You guys community. really are at the bottom of the barrel with me. The Friends, this yeah. is a normal yeah. challenge, mm -hmm. but it all comes down to training. And once you get that training, I see people actually embrace it and mm -hmm. uh, welcome mm -hmm. the tool that Realm actually is. Yeah. So we're going to have a game plan. We, we're going to own that and just, uh, and just say we're going to... We've tried, but we hadn't it hadn't always for not for everybody has it been really successful. So we're going to really come up with a game plan. Uh, we just need for for everybody who feels frustrated with it to give it give it a shot. So, but we're going to own that uh, as a staff and and um, and try again. So um, 
Thank you for saying that. Um, we've got a few more minutes. I'd love uh, to open up the, um, unless there's anything else that you want to say uh, to us. Um, just let, open it up for questions from, from the group. Yeah, Dorsey. Yeah. On, on, the, on the realm. Let's focus on what they're here because I, I just wanted, I felt like that was important. Let's, let's focus the questions. Uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say about realm, but let's focus the questions on the uh, consultants and what they what they are doing for, for the church. Now, if, if your question is, is related to, to that, then, then great. No? Okay. Um, yeah, Sis. I've heard all about the youth and how we need help with the youth. Give me an example of another area in the church they're working on. So today at 2 o'clock, we're going to be sharing um, our findings about the children's ministry. So, because we're here specifically for youth and children's ministry. Um, I think I'm answering your question correctly. We do hold churches. We work with diocese. We work with all kinds of different um, contracts. But here at this church, it's just youth and children's ministry. I do have to say, though, that um, like uh, what our friend Polk, uh, the priest mm -hmm. that Joe was talking about, early on about the person who referred our savior to ministry architects he said it transformed their church when i was a new consultant i was a little skeptical i said you know i love church-wide strategic planning that's kind of what makes my heart sing though i've done children's and youth ministry my entire adult life i said to my boss very quite frankly and directly because i'm good at that uh, <laughs> i said when you do children's and youth ministry stuff before doing a church-wide strategic plan, isn't that kind of like putting a new liver into an alcoholic's body? Thank you for laughing. That makes me feel really good. <laughs> I, and I, I really questioned it because I'm a fan of systems theory, and I thought it must be really, really hard to do it that way. I've been doing this for six years, and I can tell you I've seen it. I can only give credit to the Holy Spirit, but good things will permeate the greater system if you let it. So the greater systems choir, women's ministry, men's ministry, any, any a stewardship committee, you might recognize some of the good things that we're doing with the children's and the youth ministry and the structure that we're putting in place and go, you know, that could make sense for our team. And you start duplicating it. And that, by by default, it helps the greater, the greater church. So there's that. I, I want to just acknowledge if anybody feels like, oh, well, all they care about is is you. They don't care about the older folks. Like that's not the case at all. We have identified an area of life that has always been very important to to this church. And I don't. Know, I'm not saying that's what you're saying, uh, but but this will. I mean, this is a huge learning opportunity for me for us as a leadership team uh to then take this process and then move it around to each of the things um but it is an area of that we need help with but it's not the only area we need help with um but it is i think it's going to really like like you said permeate the whole church i'm very excited about that amy Just, i think it might be <clears throat> helpful to the group since, since maybe some folks here haven't been a part of the listening sessions and things so that just spell out a little bit about like these guys have talked to so many people, taken so much time to like speak to, like just maybe just list off like the groups of people that you've sat with and listened, and kind of how you come to these, mm -hmm. um, you know, like 
knowing what our strengths and weaknesses are and all that. So because it sort of right. Helps. And I think that I, I love Melissa Gossage's comment too about like how well. I, yeah, I don't think she'd, she'd mind to share that. So, uh, so you, um, uh, you met with youth, youth parents, uh, vestry, youth volunteers, staff, children's parents, children's volunteers, and any, and then there were, last time there were two sessions open uh, to any other interested parties. Vestry, right? Vestry, vestry, yeah. Yeah, so lots of yeah. conversation. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so <laughs> Melissa Gossage, who's on the vestry and on the design team, uh, said she uh, remembered when, when Lindy was born and, um, and Lindy uh, and her sister was there and her sister was uh, leaving just for the night, was coming back in the next morning and said, and, and Melissa just said, don't leave me, don't leave me. <laughs> and, and her sister said, I'm coming back tomorrow. No, don't, you know, don't leave me. And she said, I was taken, after the last time in, in November, she said, I was taken back. To that moment, because I just said, "Don't you know?" It was really connected, and so on. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. They're not. They're here. In fact, the vestry, uh, when we were going through whether or not we're going to sign this contract and, and go into this process, they said yes if they are the ones. So like, if they're if they're if they are uh, Krista and Melissa are the ones who uh, walk with us through this process. So um, so you're hooked. You're hooked. Yeah, you're in. You're in. Uh, one or two more questions. Yeah, Kate. Can anybody uh, get that Google document? Google yeah. Yeah. The Google Doc, can anybody get that? Which one? The Covenant? Yes. The Covenant? The one that you're saying everybody can look at. Yes. If I, I would imagine that if you're interested in it, people can know that, and then you can share that with whoever's interested. So we're not trying to hold anybody out of it. We do ask that people who care enough to do this covenant understand who for whom the covenant um, is uh, and why it exists. And so we would ask that um, you don't take a vested interest in it unless you're willing and able to participate in it. Great. Can I just say one thing, friends? The work that we're doing with you all is hard work. Uh, and, and when someone has a lot of weight to, to lose, they can do it a lot of different ways. Many, you know, let's say you have 100 pounds to lose. I know people who have lost 100 pounds. It's taken hard work and effort and dedication. Some people can do that by themselves. Others might use a personal trainer. But when that weight is lost, at the end of the day, the personal trainer didn't lose the weight for you. You did. You did the hard work. You were consistent. You stuck to it. You stuck to the process and trusted it. And that personal trainer just came alongside you, supported you, held you accountable, cheer, cheered you on, and perhaps admonished you when you needed it. <laughs> That's what we're here for. We're not going to be doing this work for you. We are going to help you be successful in doing the work. So it is a true partnership, but it is hard work. So the people on the design team know what they said yes to. They know that they said yes to difficult. Now, now they do. And now they do. That's right. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> they know it, and they know it's not easy, and they know it's you know there's going to be some struggles and difficult times, but it's going to be a joy-filled one because we're going to be cheering you on. Uh, but they deserve all the credit. So a lot of people will say, "Oh, Melissa and Krista are here! Yay! They're our saviors." <laughs> we're not. Um, fortunately, Jesus has already saved us, yes. and we're just partnering with you. 
so that you have you know the best chance of success so I never ever want to diminish the work that you all have said yes to and you all are actually doing awesome Yes, Rick, last one. Can you real quick just tell us who all's on the design? Yes, so um, make sure I, I get it all. So it's uh, Father Trent, Nolan Gilmore, uh, who is a retired um, prince, uh, elementary school principal. We have Melissa Gostage, uh, who is an engineer and knows how to get things done. Also a mom, uh, Matt Majori, who's an engineer and knows how to get things done and also is a dad. We have Mary Geiger, who is a uh, mom and a teacher. Uh, and a, has a master's in curriculum development. We have Hannah Barden, uh, who is um, a recent college grad, has been through a lot and a lot of youth ministry events in the diocese. She's also a elementary school teacher and a Sunday school teacher uh, here at Church of Our Savior and grew up here. Uh, so is a uh, recent, uh, fairly recent, um, and comes from a ministry family, I might say, as well. Um, all right, so, so uh, Beth Lunsford, who is our Director of Children's Ministry. That's uh, Nolan, Matt, Trent, Beth, Melissa, Mary. Hannah, Mary. Mary. That's it. Seven. Seven. Yeah. That's the design team. The search team uh, is going to be chaired slash liaised uh, by uh, Mark Gentry, and uh, is also uh, has Francis Schultz and Jennifer Majori, and then two youth, Jack Laborde and Grace. Uh, Myers. So, and then there's a prayer team, which all of you are on. Right? But there's going to be a um, there's going to be a, uh, a, a sort of dedicated prayer team. But please, please, please pray, pray for this process, and specifically, uh, pray for the design team. Pray for Melissa Rao and Krista Mulholland, and um, and for me and for for all of us. So, we got to go to church, um, and then I hear there's a football game. Or something. Go Eagles! She just crumbled every last hour. We're not playing! Okay, 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 good. Go in peace, love, and serve the Lord. Hallelujah! 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 Hallelujah!